Here it is. Welcome back to the show. This is the ADF Underground brought to you by All Day Football. What's up, y'all? I am your host, Chris. They call me Chouse. Welcome back to the show. Week 17 is in the books. We are done. The NFL season, regular season, has concluded. There is no more. The week was impressive. It was important. We still had a number of contests on the board that still held a lot of playoff implication and playoff seeding things to be ironed out before it was all clear and we understood what the playoff bracket was going to look like but nevertheless there was obviously no Thursday no Monday night football this week and let's kick it back man Sunday we won't go through all the games like we normally do obviously there's not much to evaluate for the teams that were just playing out the string but I mean nevertheless let's kick it back to Sunday and let's do our review The Buffalo Bills hosting the New York Jets. So the Bills late uh, before the contest began had uh, sat a number of their starters, making this contest basically irrelevant in the process. The New York Jets were playing out the string. That contest ended New York winning 13-6. Buffalo really didn't have anything to play for in this game. And I mean, that's all it really was for that contest. So moving right along, the New Orleans Saints taking travel to Carolina to face the Panthers. This contest did have some playoff implication for the Saints. They needed to win this game and have luck on their side, having either Green Bay or the San Francisco 49ers losing their contest to take the first round bye for the playoffs. They took care of business 42-10. to 10. They, they came out to play. We knew this game was going to be a blowout. The Saints, this was a tune-up for the postseason and and they took care of business so I mean they were scoreboard watching after this game was done but they took it to the Panthers Carolina really didn't muster anything anything spectacular Christian McCaffrey the one huge highlight in this contest he goes over 1,000 rushing yards I believe he was over 1,300 rushing yards and he caught over 1,000 receiving yards 116 receptions unbelievable season for Christian McCaffrey he is the real deal like we all know but I mean we need to be talking about how special this is on a 5 and 11 team I'm not seeing near enough praise for what he was able to accomplish on this team especially since when Cam Newton uh, left the squad with his injury and was sent to IR injured reserve and he never returned this was unbelievable granted Christian McCaffrey, I mean, he was the main staple game plan for this offense, especially with Kyle Allen and Will Greer, the two other quarterbacks that took over for Cam Newton. I mean, he's the the primary check down Christian McCaffrey was. So, I mean, there is granted why he got his 116 receptions. But nevertheless, that is a fabulous, fabulous season for the young man. The Saints, on the other hand, they did what they needed to do. Drew Brees, again, three touchdown passes. Alvin Kamara again finds the end zone twice on the ground. So this is a good look going into the postseason for the New Orleans Saints. You wanted to have your offense uh, geared up 
and and loaded without any inadequacy for the postseason, especially if you are going to be forced to play on wildcard weekend. But we'll get to that as the games go on. Moving right along, we'll do this rather quickly. I mean, like we said, there really isn't much to evaluate in Week 17 outside of the teams vying for the playoffs. The next game on the board we have is the Cleveland Browns and the Cincinnati Bengals. This game was nothing. This was about pride. Baker Mayfield and the Cleveland Browns trying to save dignity in in a lost season, a lost campaign that had so much hope uh, with all the talent they had on this roster. They conclude the season at 6-10, and and at the end of the game, they did fire their head coach, Freddie Kitchens, because they lost this contest to the Bengals 33-23. There was... I mean, the Browns started out strong. We saw how they were playing. But again, this was the fabric of their entire season. It's almost it's almost as if they become complacent after scoring that first touchdown. And they just go into that shell and they can't really do anything. Joe Mixon, he is the guy to look for next season. He finished the year very strong. He finished this contest massively with 26 carries, 162 yards, and two rushing touchdowns. Obviously, the hype is around the fact that the Bengals have the first overall draft pick in the 2020 draft. They will more than likely be going quarterback, and the rumor is right now, I mean, obviously, it's still very early. They're going after the young man from LSU, Mr. Burrow. So we will see. I mean, that could add so many wonderful things uh, for this offense, especially under Zach Taylor, who is a Sean McVay disciple of sorts. He is an offensive uh, genius, let's per se, not necessarily right now, but he could be, and he has that pedigree of being that offensive-minded coach that could make this Cincinnati Bengals offense Uh, take to the next level I mean obviously they have a lot of holes on this club but they will figure their way out the Browns I don't know what they're gonna do who they're gonna bring in as their head coach they obviously need uh, a greater leadership in this locker room especially with all the talent that they have on this team Um, it's inevitable you need someone to keep the the locker room together understand what it is that you're doing and make sure that everybody's following your lead so it'll be very interesting to see who the Browns hire as their head coach but the Bengals future I mean depending on how it goes in the NFL draft we'll see they if they take the number one uh, the quarterback off the board Burrow like we're saying I mean we could see AJ Green sign back he's saying he wants to finish his career in Cincinnati so I mean he is a free agent to come this offseason and and this team could be loaded offensively if they hit the draft right and they do free agency properly and hire the right man for the job so next contest on the board the green bay packers and the detroit lions this contest also had playoff implication due to seeding green bay needed to win this contest to basically lock up that first round bye. without the win they could not take the bye. the saints would have jumped them The Packers started this game out terribly, and this has been uh, what we all have been discussing about, and I've I've said it many times on the show, uh, uh, are the Green Bay Packers a legitimate 13-3 team? This game really didn't feel like you could you could put a stamp on it. You, You could say that the Packers are definitely beatable after watching this contest. They came out the gates extremely slow. The Lions jumped on them quick. Halftime, it was 17-3. David Blau was carving up the, the Packers' secondary. It, just, it was a very 
very strange contest to be watching, especially with Aaron Rodgers. He could not find room on this weaker Detroit Lion team. Fast forward to the second half. Coach Matt LaFleur changed up some things. The Packers got on the board, and they ended up pulling the game out 23-20 to late. And, I mean, this is not how you want to win. I mean, it was a last-second field goal by Mason Crosby to finish the game. But, I mean, is this the way that you really wanted to go into the playoffs? I don't think so, especially when you're going to be facing the numerous amount of talent that is coming out of this NFC. You needed to be on point. This was a game against a club that had legitimately nothing to play for. Matt Patricia basically got the seal of endorsement to come back for the 2020 season before this game even started. So, I mean... Detroit really had nothing left to play for. They they know they're going to get a high-end draft pick. What was the motivation? And Green Bay just could not get it done. I mean, yes, they won the game, but again, it's an ugly win. So do we hate ugly wins? No. I mean, you're still winning the game. That's what's most important. So does it matter if it's flash? No. But they just, I mean, okay, they're balanced. They play very hard-nosed defense. This team likes to blitz. I mean, this is the 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 Patton defense, the Petten defense, however you pronounce his last name. He is the disciple of Rex Ryan. So, I mean, we know this defense. We know it very well. We've seen it for a number of years, studied it, and, I mean, they're beatable. They live by the blitz. They die by the blitz. And, I mean, with with exception of their linebackers, the Smith brothers, not related, but they're the Smith brothers, and they're they're playing extremely good football. So I mean, can the defense carry this team uh, with Aaron Jones running the ball without having Aaron Rodgers to be uh, Mister Magician all over the? I do I do think they can be. The biggest handcuff I do believe that this club has is they do not have a trusted secondary wide receiver option or a pass catcher tight end, uh, for example. Jimmy Graham just isn't getting it done. I mean, this kid Lazard, he's come to play lately. He's he's looking like he is the secondary option. But, I mean, he has some drop problems as well. He drops the passes. He drops the balls. And, I mean, when it comes into the playoffs, you have to be making all those plays. I mean, and don't get it twisted. Devontae Adams is going to be double teamed more than likely throughout the postseason. So they're going to need somebody to step it up. Jimmy Graham just can't get it done anymore. And I just really don't understand. You're seeing weaker coverage. So obviously, I mean, yes, he is past his prime by many years. But you, you, would, you would still think that he could have something in the tank to get things done. But nevertheless, the Packers do win this contest. They elevated their seed to number two in uh, the NFC. And it, they were waiting, the new, like the New Orleans Saints, they were waiting for that San Francisco-Seattle showing on Sunday Night Football. But either way, let's move right along. The Kansas City Chiefs and the L.A. Chargers. So Phillip Rivers, potentially last game as an L.A. Charger. His long career, I believe it was, what, 14, 15 years of pro football? We have to give it to him. I mean, we saw his press conference. He teared up. He was he was down. He you know he was thinking that his future is uncertain, especially with the Chargers. He could perhaps latch on to another club come the off season. Someone that needs a veteran quarterback to help uh, perhaps uh, uh, teach a younger younger student of the game at the position to be better. Do I see him being a starting quarterback and returning to L.A.? Absolutely, I do. Maybe on a one-year contract. 
Are the Chargers really going to go into next season with Tyrod Taylor as their starter? I just don't see it. I mean, Phillip knows knows what to do. His mistakes are the killer. I mean, but this team as a whole was not necessarily coached the way it should have been for the entire season. They they finished the year 5-11. and 11. Kansas City, on the other hand, they had to win this game and have the Patriots lose to secure that first round bye. This game was uber important to the Chiefs. They started out the gates a little bit slow as well, but they had this game in control in the second half. The Chargers really couldn't stop the running game. Big plays were the key. I mean, McCole Hardman, he had a 104-yard kick return. That kind of changed the entire fabric of how this game's momentum kept going for the rest of the second half. Damian Williams had an 84-yard run. He it was it was kind of a broken play. Uh the defenders of the Chi- or the Chargers basically stopped as they thought the play had uh was dead. I think they believed that Williams had stepped out and Williams just took off and, and finished the play and, and scored the touchdown. But I mean even as the uh the Chargers still attempted to come back I mean, it just wasn't near enough. The Chiefs win 31-21, finish the year 12-4. and I believe they won six in a row to this point of Week 17. This is something that people aren't talking about either. You want to be extremely hot and explosive coming into the postseason, and this is what the Chiefs have done. Now they have a home game. They have a bye. They can get rested up. They can heal up. They can add more plays to this playbook. And believe it, they are going to be a very, very tough team to beat in the AFC. When we start discussing playoff matchups, I will suggest something that many may not believe, but I do believe that the Chiefs are built well enough to beat the Baltimore Ravens. That is true. They have the squad to do it. I mean, the addition of Terrell Suggs was huge. They got more rushing presence. Granted, he is on the wrong side of his career to keep going. He's going to be probably retiring after this season. But, I mean, he can still rush the guy, uh, rush the quarterback. If you give him even 25 snaps a game, he gives you those fresh legs that will be able to rush the opposing quarterback and get to him. I really like the Chiefs. This year, the one caveat I want to say is that I'm not convinced in their run game overall. I do believe that they could have used somebody else. Damian Williams will have to be leaned upon. I really question uh, what LaShawn McCoy still has left in the tank. I still love Shady. I think he's going to be... Um, perhaps utilized more in the postseason. I mean, this is what Andy Reid has been saying since how many times we saw Shady as a healthy scratch, saying that it was more for keeping him fresh for the postseason, and perhaps it will be. I still like Shady, but I mean, they're going to have to use a tandem uh, running back approach and then just hopefully defenses can stop Patrick Mahomes. This is a deadly squad, and they are running hot. They are playing for each other. Six wins in a row getting to this point. Very good contest, and everything is is determined on their seeding to what happened in the New England Patriots game. But nevertheless, let's move right along. The Chicago Bears and the Minnesota Vikings, another contest that really had nothing to do with playoff uh, seeding. The Vikings already locked into theirs. The Bears licking their chops, licking their wounds because they are going to the offseason after finishing 12-4 and last year. They go 8-8 eight and eight in a massive disappointing season. Mitchell Trubisky, he... This is the thing about this guy. So this was the audition um, of sorts 
to to ease the discussion on whether or not some other quarterback will take over as a starting job in Chicago next year. I I don't buy it. I mean, I think that they still have too much invested in Trubisky right now. He'll probably have a short leash of maybe half a season, depending on who the backup quarterback will be. Uh, will I be surprised if Chicago goes in another direction and tries to secure a veteran quarterback? No. I think that they might hedge their bets something like the Tennessee Titans did with Marcus Mariota trading for Ryan Tannehill. And, and look what happened, how it happened in Tennessee. I could see a very similar situation uh, transpire in Chicago where they will bring in. Uh, I mean, we've heard rumors of what Cam Newton. Uh, I still don't know if that's uh, viable at this point. Maybe Philip Rivers is is one player to keep your eye on here. But again, he's old um, and, and he doesn't have much left. But I mean, if you're going for a younger quarterback, perhaps it is Marcus Mariota. I mean, there's going to be lots of discussion about where the Bears go this offseason, but obviously Trubisky at this point right now in this Matt Nagy offense, I really am not impressed in how they uh, attempted to, <coughs> excuse me, attempted to progress um, this season, and they did not. I mean, but taking the positives out of this game, David Montgomery had a very sound day, 23 carries, 113 yards and one touchdown. I mean, this guy was extremely frustrating to watch and own in fantasy football. He just didn't get the uh, the carries. He didn't get enough work in this offense. And I think that's on Coach Matt Nagy. You have a running back who is... Uh, extremely talented. Perhaps did Montgomery hit the rookie wall? It could have been uh, the case. But, I mean, I don't think the volume was there. You're a team with a young quarterback like Trubisky who's still struggling to throw the ball, especially to the left side of the field from the pocket. You really needed to set up that play-action pass. You really needed to be a run-first team, not a pass-first team. Again, here we go. In this game, Mitchell Trubisky threw 37 times. I mean, it was a very tight game the whole way. The Bears win 21-19 against the Vikings uh, backups. So, I mean... Even in that case, your audition to be that next level quarterback against weaker competition didn't really come to fruition. So, I mean, I want to see a lot more. The Bears defense still is very strong. It's not going to look good on paper when the when all is said and done this season, simply because defense is this good. They know how much effort they're going to put in. This is like the Denver Broncos of past seasons where their elite units didn't really come to play because they were just exhausted from carrying the team. I still believe in this Bears defense. I think they are extremely talented. They will continue to add players to this team, to this defense, and they will be stronger for it. Figuring out what this offense is going to do is going to be priority number one in this offseason. As for the Minnesota Vikings, let's move on to the playoff team. They played all their backups. They knew their seating was where it was. So, I mean, nothing really to see here. The backups all played. They dropped the contest of no consequence. They're still in anyway. So moving right along to a contest that did have playoff seed viability on the docket, the Miami Dolphins taking travel in New England to face the Patriots. Everyone had belief that this game was going to go to New England and they would secure yet another bye. 
I believe they had the longest tenure by uh, for each season, consecutive seasons of nine, nine consecutive years with having a first round by. That is absolutely incredible. However, they did not account for Ryan Fitzpatrick. Fitzmagic, he is the guy. He just doesn't even care. He's going to sling that ball around no matter who he plays. He used to play in Buffalo. He knows how difficult it is to win a game in Foxborough. But what are we doing when we see Ryan Fitzpatrick carving up the New England Patriots' supposed stout defense? I'm saying supposed now because this was... Not a very good sound showing whatsoever. How can you allow Ryan Fitzpatrick and Devontae Parker, the suddenly unbelievably talented and gifted Devontae Parker, he was training camp MVP year after year, never putting it together on the field during the regular season. And this year on a contract year that he was rewarded with, he got his contract extension and he continues to ball. Devontae Parker's numbers, he was eight receptions, 137 yards. And why is that important? Because he was against Stephon Gilmore, the player who is up for defensive uh, uh, player of the year, and he was cooking Gilmore all over the field. This is the thing people want to say about Steph Gilmore. I saw a lot of him in Buffalo. I know his game. He is a very, very talented player defensive back don't get that twisted he is one of the best in the business however his speed is not elite if he gets cooked on a route it is very difficult for him to come back is he one of the better defensive backs at one jump balls one-on-one opportunities Parker took it to him Parker had many receptions in this game where it was just him and Gilmore and he had the ball he had the space and he took position so Do I believe that this is the anomaly? Sure. But, I mean, are the Patriots beatable? I think they definitely are, especially with this offense and how they're not able to move the ball. This receiving core, I mean, Brady is obviously trying his best to spread the ball around, but Miami did a wonderful job in locking down Julian Edelman. He is also hurt as well. So, I mean, this is a big problem now as well that New England, they lost this game, by the way. I don't know if I mentioned that. They lost to Miami last second touchdown from Ryan Fitzpatrick. 24 seconds left on the clock to Mike Gusecki to end their streak of first-round buys. Unbelievable win, 27-24 in Foxborough. The Patriots will be playing on Wild Card Weekend, if you can believe it. Unbelievable. We could not believe what we were watching. It was something to see. But when we start discussing this, the Patriots really desperately needed that first round bye to heal Julian Edelman. He is dealing with a plethora of injuries, I believe, to his knee. I believe it was to his hip and his shoulder. This is going to be a big, big problem. And I mean, while, yes, you still will be hosting the uh, the first game of the wild card round, you now have to play with injured players. You have a problem. This offense has not been good this season. Tom Brady has tried his best, hasn't been on the same page as his receivers. I mean, Mohamed Sanu, this trade, we really believe that this could be something special for this club for Brady to work with 
And again, in this game, he was three catches for 35 yards. He was virtually invisible yet again. So ever since he's been traded, it hasn't come to what they had expected it to be. The rushing game isn't necessarily there. I mean, Michelle did run for 74 yards for a 4.1 average and found the end zone. That was a big positive because their run game hasn't been there for a lot of this season. And I mean, when you're now having no rest when you needed rest to help your best player so it's a not a good thing for the new england patriots they drop the game in in ugly fashion at the end their defense which was lights out for most of the season let them down this game also had the chiefs jump them now they took over that first round by they will have the second seed after this loss they were cheering in arrowhead like crazy so moving right along the atlanta falcons and the tampa bay buccaneers another game that really had nothing to do with anything in the postseason it had to do with just finishing it out here we go again Jameis winston when we start discussing the future of mr winston he goes 200 yards two touchdowns two more interceptions why is that important? He becomes the first player in NFL history to throw 30 touchdown passes and 30 interceptions. 30. He threw 30 interceptions this season. Unbelievable. Granted, this offense is still very much loaded with wide receivers. If you could support Jameis with a running game, I truly wonder what could be the difference. Jameis really feels as though when we watch his tape from this season on many games we've seen, it is very tough for me to not have the opinion that Jameis Winston believes everything falls on his shoulders through the pass game. If he literally had a running back who could gain over a thousand yards, gain those 4.4 yards per carry each and every game. I really do believe it would elevate his performance with the Mike Evans, with the Chris Godwin. Obviously, with Perryman now, he's shown that he can be more trusted. With these youngsters like Watson and uh, I can't remember the other man's name. He is uh, the speedy kid. Scotty Miller, that's his name. He is he's a, he's a dynamo as well. So you have a number of talented receivers on this team if you could just shore up your offensive line and give him a running back, perhaps Jameis is the answer. He is going to be looking for a boatload of money come this offseason. I really, truly wonder if the Buccaneers will give it to him. As for the Atlanta Falcons, I mean, this was a lost season. What can we say? I mean, the defense, again, had massive injuries. They couldn't get out of their own way early, and then they dug themselves into a massive hole that they just could not get out of. And, and this was your season. It was a definite failure by all counts. They finished 7-9. and nine. They did win this game 28-22 to as they uh, got it into overtime late with a field goal. And then uh, Deion Jones had a beautiful interception off of Jameis Winston, which was that 30th interception. And he took it to the house to win the game 28-22. to Very entertaining late, but I mean, outside of that, there was nothing, nothing credible here. So moving right along, the Pittsburgh Steelers and the Baltimore Ravens. The Ravens had the first overall seed locked up, so they rested all of their starters. Nobody was playing. It was 
was all the backups. But what was more impressive was that the Pittsburgh Steelers had to win this game. And what was more impressive was the Baltimore Ravens still ran for over 200 yards with Gus Edwards, Robert Griffin, and Justice Hill. They were the ones leading the way. Unbelievable game on the ground once again. Robert Griffin, he didn't have to do much through the air. He was only 96 yards and one interception. This is Robert Griffin. We know his game. We know what he is. But as for the Pittsburgh Steelers, I mean, what a season for the Steelers. I mean, so much turmoil, so much problem, so much injury. I mean, James Conner, he was the issue when it came to health. He could not stay on the field all season long. Juju Smith-Schuster. Uh, we, we we will not argue his talent. I just had a feeling that his season wouldn't be as good, but I mean it was it was it was more so since Ben Roethlisberger was lost for the season as well. That changed the entire dynamic for this Steelers team, for this offense. They just could not get anything going. Rotating between Mason Rudolph and Davlin Hodges as your starting quarterbacks. I mean, that's just not going to get it done, especially when uh, teams understand the youth in these quarterbacks and game plan appropriately. We saw games where we thought Mason Rudolph could be the future answer of this club, and then a team would come along, figured him out on tape, and, and threw it at him in the game, and he just didn't know which way to turn. So it's a very difficult situation. We still like Mason Rudolph a lot. I think the kid has got a lot of talent, but now confidence will be the issue moving into the offseason. How ben, uh, ben Roethlisberger does come back, we, it'll also be uh, something to see but the Steelers they dropped this game in a must win and I believe they needed help as well from the Titans to lose to find their way into the postseason the Ravens win this game quite easily on 200 yards rushing without their starting core they win this game 28 to 10 and send the Steelers packing so let's move right along the Washington Redskins taking travel to the Dallas Cowboys this game was massive so we had two games in the NFC East Obviously, this one between the Dallas Cowboys and the Washington Redskins, and then we had the other contest between the Eagles and the New York Giants. That was just massive. So if the Cowboys were able to knock off the Skins in this contest at home, they would need the Eagles to drop their game in New York not in Philly, and they would take the, the the division crown. If it wasn't for the Eagles, the Eagles needed to win and they were in. It didn't matter. So if, if they won, they controlled their destiny and they were in. Dallas in this contest came to play. Possibly uh, Jason Garrett's final showing as the Cowboys head coach. But this was a game you knew Dallas was going to have. You knew, regardless of the injury suggestion to Dak Prescott's shoulder, his throwing shoulder, you knew that they were going to have a day. Prescott goes off 303 yards, four touchdowns. Zeke Elliott has a beautiful day, 18 touches, 122 yards. This is Zeke. I mean, I don't understand this Cowboys club whatsoever. They should have been having this as the staple for this offense the entire season. They did not. They continuously threw the ball more than they ran. This offensive line, I still have belief that this offensive line is very good, very strong. But, I mean, I've seen other analysts and, and, and prognosticators look at this offensive line and suggest it not to be what it once was, and perhaps they're right. However, the Cowboys do demolish the Redskins here 47-16. to 16. They take it down, and they were scoreboard watching the entire time against the eagle or versus the eagles and the and the giants 
and and unfortunately for Dallas fans, the Philadelphia Eagles won that game 34 to 17, crushing everything for playoff viability for the Dallas Cowboys. So let's jump into that game, the Eagles and the Giants. The Eagles really started out slow. I mean, by halftime, the score was 10-3. to You still felt like it was anybody's contest. Coming into that second half, you could see a different team. The Eagles' defense knew. I mean, they still gave up big plays. Saquon Barkley took one to the house, 68 yards, massive hole. But after that, in that fourth quarter, that's when the Eagles just took it over. The field goal by Jason Elliott. Two rushing touchdowns by Boston Scott. I mean, this game was over. At the end of the day, it was 34-17 for the Eagles, and there was nothing the Dallas Cowboys could do. Jerry Jones, owner, general manager Jerry Jones, he was near tears seeing his club now once again being eliminated from the postseason, especially with a team as talented as they have on the field. Now, what do we do? Do we see Jason Garrett fired? I mean, we've had reports seen that the entire uh, coaching staff for the Cowboys has been relieved of their duties. And then we see that uh, Jerry Jones is still conducting meetings with Jason Garrett. So who knows what that means? Does that mean he gets one more kick at the can? We can't even say. I mean, this is Dallas. This is Jerry Jones. He obviously has a great affinity for Jason Garrett. He's put in a lot of years into the man to build him into what he is and still believes he is the golden boy to take these Cowboys to the next level. So, I mean, that's how it went down in the NFC East. The Eagles win the division. The Cowboys are sent packing, even though both of them won their games. So another contest we had here, the second last game of high importance, the Tennessee Titans and the Houston Texans. So the Titans, they this is one of the teams. I mean, you know if you've listened to the show, we have been on board since Ryan Tannehill took over. We, again, I will preach it because it was one of my best calls for the entire season. I said it back in training camp that the Titans would be a better club with Tannehill behind center and it did happen it did come to fruition Derrick Henry has elevated his game once again it wasn't like it was the season before where we've seen Derrick Henry actually lift and flip a switch in the second half of the season become that dominant force he he is the product now of Ryan Tannehill and a productive pass game you cannot stop Derrick Henry Derrick Henry is a beast he is a machine and a tank all over the field. You do not want to get hit by him. You start. This is how the Tennessee Titans basically run their game. They will have the play-action pass. They're starting to find A.J. Brown, their talented rookie who we're, we are supremely high on, and they're starting to, to use the run game with high efficiency and velocity all the time throughout the game. So come the fourth quarter, Derrick Henry You don't want to be hit by Derrick Henry because now the defenders know how much it's going to hurt and he just keeps plowing those defenders. This game was uneven. Obviously, the Houston Texans were resting all of their starters as well. Deshaun Watson and company were not playing in this game. This was the A.J. McCarron show. And I mean, it started out early as somewhat of a contest, but as this, as the game wore on, especially going into the second half, this was all Tennessee. And like we said, Derrick Henry was your beast mode. He came out in the second half with three rushing touchdowns. He finished finished this contest over 200 yards, 211 to be exact, on 32 rushing attempts. And again, like we said, he found the end zone three times. Ryan Tannehill, this is what you want him to do. 13 of 20, 198, two passing touchdowns, 
for A.J. Brown, four receptions, 124 yards, one touchdown. This is your offense, people, for the Tennessee Titans. They will run you to death, and then they will set up the play-action pass. And like we said, come the fourth quarter, Derrick Henry time, this is when he will take over the ball game. You will not be able to stop Derrick Henry running the ball as hard as he runs. And this man is still playing with an injured hamstring. Don't get that wrong. But either way, the Tennessee Titans take care of business, and this is what they needed to do to find their way into the postseason. They lock up the sixth seed with that victory. So moving right along, yet another contest with no playoff viability, the Indianapolis Colts and the Jacksonville Jaguars. We won't really get into this contest. The Jaguars win 38-20. to They conclude the season at 6-10. and The Colts finish at 7-9. and I mean, both these clubs, I mean, They had so much promise. I have such issue with both these teams. I mean, Frank Reich, he dealt with injuries, so I'm going to give him a pass. Frank Reich is a very talented offensive-minded coach. He can get this team moving. I think the inadequacy in Jacoby Brissett being what Andrew Luck was, if you are not a running team now, on the Colts, you you will have a very difficult time winning. You will have to switch it up to be you have to be that that run first team who plays extremely sound defense. Do I believe Jacoby Brissett can take his game to another level? I question it. I really do question it. I think he may his ceiling hasn't necessarily been hit, but I think we're very close when it's uh, when it, we start talking about Jacoby Brissett. When it comes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, I don't know where to start with this club. I mean, we're going to be doing shows in the offseason to break down Um, the entire roster and how this team and which direction they should go so maybe I'll leave that to then I mean I wasn't impressed this season whatsoever first things first I really truly believe the Jaguars need to relieve Doug Marone of his head coaching responsibilities he is not the man for the job this team was far too talented and now they've lost so much so many players so much talent two trades to a free agency and and I mean, what are you what do you have left with it? You have a six and ten club finishing the twenty nineteen season. Just unacceptable for the fans in Jacksonville, for the ownership. Just not a good look. So moving right along, the Oakland Raiders and the Denver Broncos. This game, the Oakland Raiders really did have a a shot. I mean, it was a needing a miracle everything to fall into place for you to find that sixth seed you needed the titans to lose you needed uh, a few other teams to lose i can't remember everyone off the top of my head but you needed divine intervention to find your way into the postseason taking travel to denver i mean this game was all denver early uh the the oakland raiders they were able to find a passing touchdown with seven seconds late in the game to kill everyone's spread who took the Denver Broncos. We took the Raiders. So, I mean, the score was 16 to 15 uh, in favor of the Broncos late. So, again, Oakland, they attempted. This will be their last uh, game in wearing and donning the Oakland uh, logo. They will be now in Las Vegas uh, come next season with that beautiful stadium they have built in Vegas for them. The Broncos, on the other hand, I really like their second half of the season or their their their, their last quarter of the season with the young man, Drew Locke. I really like this quarterback a lot. I, I preached it from the draft. It was unfortunate that he found way to injury and, and didn't find uh, time to play. I think he would have uh, edged out Joe Flacco had he not gotten injured. Uh, Flacco probably would have 
have only played those three games and they would have moved on to Drew Locke and we would have seen a better showing for the Broncos for it. I mean, nevertheless, the Broncos still finish off 7-9. and nine. Decent season for what this team is. They will have a lot of turnover come the offseason. But, I mean, at least it appears that you have your franchise quarterback. So I like the direction they have at least in that regard. So let's move right along. The LA Rams and the Arizona Cardinals. Yet another game that had nothing to do with anything outside of playing out the string. The LA Rams finished their disastrous Super Bowl hangover season with a 9-7 and record with all this talent on this team. I, again, this will be, we will be discussing teams in the offseason uh, quite a bit. So, I mean, I don't want to dive into everything right now, but I still really don't understand the the formula that Sean McVay was believing to save Todd Gurley, to limit his touches. He said at the beginning of the season he would not, but he did every single week, believing that this team was a sure shoe-in to find their way in the postseason where he would unleash Todd Gurley with more workload. It backfired on him massively. I mean... You you can't say it any other way. Jared Goff is a good quarterback. I still like, I still believe in him. I mean, he still needs the run game. He is a young passer. He's going to make his mistakes. Everyone wants to believe that he's a finished product because he went to the Super Bowl. That's not the case. This offense is predicated through the run game. They need to establish the run to set up the play action to start finding their receivers down the field. The positive note, they did get their tight end involved in this uh, offense, and I think that's huge because you have – uh, uh, salary cap issues that you are going to have to deal with come the off season. So perhaps Robert Woods or Brandon Cooks will be out just based on contracts. I believe Robert Woods is the easier cut at this point, which is unfortunate for the Rams, but they are going to have to make a lot of decisions. As for the Arizona Cardinals, I still like this team a lot. I like how they they changed virtually every game that they lost they changed how they operated they changed how they did things coach cliff kingsbury i have to give two thumbs up to this season because in every statistical department i believe offensively this team rose from a season ago so kyler murray you know if you've been listening to the show you know he is our guy we have a lot of love for kyler murray he is going to be something special i believe uh you add more talent to this offensive line to this uh, receiving core because obviously larry fitzgerald he won't be here forever he will be on his way out uh, if not this uh, off season, maybe he comes back for one more year. But I mean, that's a stretch as well. I mean, you have Kenyon Drake. The the questions will be, what do you do with David Johnson? Like we said, man, we're gonna be going through these teams with a fine tooth comb this off season, and 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 this is one team that we're really excited to see. I mean, there's a lot of things that they need to add to this roster, but I really really like the progression I saw week to week in Cliff Kingsbury's uh, play calling and his game plans. He is not afraid to throw different looks at you week in, week out. And this is what impressed me the most. He wasn't that vanilla guy who was just going to stick to his plan. He literally changed it week in, week out to try and find holes in the opposition while trying to progress his young rookie quarterback. It was it was a great season at 5-10-1. 
Cardinals fans, don't be down on it whatsoever. You have a brilliant future coming your way. So concluding the season, the regular season on Sunday Night Football, we knew, we absolutely 100% knew we would be treated to a dandy with the San Francisco 49ers taking travel to Seattle to face the Seahawks. Everything was on the line for this final game of the season. It had everything to do with the number one seed, the number two seed, dropping to the number three seed and the number five seed. It was just unbelievable how much this game meant. So when we watched, started watching this contest, I mean, we were a little disheartened with how the Hawks were, were operating. We really did not like the way they played in that first half whatsoever. Their defense did keep them alive. The 49ers only went up 13 to nothing going into halftime. And at that point in how this game was unfolding, that was a massive win for Seattle. But when Russell Wilson came in that second half, he knew he had to step up his game to the next level and once again carry this club. This youngster, Homer, the running back, Travis Homer, he started the game out looking a little bit conservative and he started opening it up in the second half. He was used in the pass game. He had a 6.2 yards per carry. He was great in that second half. Obviously, everyone was talking about Marshawn Lynch coming back after being re-signed by the club for some running back depth. He found the end zone on a dive over the pile play. I mean, but this game was fantastic. Came down to the wire as well. The San Francisco 49ers had the lead 26 to 21 where Russell Wilson found his tight end and he was stopped literally an inch short of the goal line. One inch more and the Hawks take this contest and they jump to number one. I believe the Saints would have would have taken the number two seed and the Packers would have dropped to three. Niners would have been in number five. As it stands, the Niners win. They take number one. That puts the Saints at number three. The Packers took number two and the Hawks are, are, are playing at number five. So unbelievable twists and turns this game had. This was a fantastic contest what a showing the 49ers finished 13 and 3 the the Seattle Seahawks 11 and 5 I mean what else can you say this game was dynamite so now with the season concluded I mean let's jump in to the playoffs we have dandies coming up here in wild card weekend so it will begin Saturday and Sunday two games each the NFL is now choosing to do AFC on Saturday, NFC on Sunday. First game on the board. Let's preview this one. The Buffalo Bills taking travel to Houston to face the Texans. Bills Mafia back in the playoffs once again. This will be something special. So when we start already dissecting, I mean, we're still going to do a lot more. But when we're looking at it from the onset right now, I truly believe that this is the best matchup the Bills could have had outside of, again, playing the Patriots for Wild Card Weekend. This game, to me, I mean, the Houston Texans have been underwhelming me the entire season. Yes, did they finish 10-6? and six? Absolutely. Did Deshaun Watson nearly get 4,000 yards? He had 26 touchdowns. I mean, the run game did start to improve with Duke Johnson and uh, Carlos Hyde as the season wore on. But, I mean, this team has holes. If you game plan against Deshaun Watson, he will struggle. 
you will need to take away the deep shot. As long, I, I really truly believe the Bills match up extremely well against this uh, Texans team, especially offense versus defense. The Buffalo Bills shouldn't have much problem stopping Carlos Hyde and Duke Johnson. If if the Texans use Duke Johnson in the pass game, I can see that being a more of a problem for Buffalo to contain rather than just stopping the run altogether. The biggest problem for the Bills defense will be covering DeAndre Hopkins. Even if they do pull out the double team, if Will Fuller is ready to play for this game, he will have a day. Buffalo really doesn't have that secondary uh, piece in its defensive back field that can stop Will Fuller. I mean, not many do, but in this case, I mean, the Bills will have to lean on their safety play to try and take everything away, and then you will still have to account for Deshaun Watson running the ball. I think that is going to be key as well. They did it extremely well against Lamar Jackson uh, during the season. If people believe that the Ravens really destroyed the Bills, they didn't. I mean, they had the edges uh, uh, covered extremely well, and they dared Baltimore just to run up the middle, which is what they did with Mark Ingram, and he had a good day. So this might be the exact same formula we see where the Bills will allow Carlos Hyde to have the middle of the field. They will allow Deshaun Watson to have the middle, but they will not allow him to get to the edge. So I, I'm really curious. I mean, the, the Texans' defense versus the Bills' offense, this could be something interesting as well. The The Texans do like to bring the heat, bring the pressure, so I will be very curious to see how Josh Allen uh, does perform. I believe Devin Singletary will have a heavy workload in this game, perhaps a little bit mixed in with Frank Gore, but I really truly don't believe that the Texans will be able to defend the middle of the field with Cole Beasley. He could have a very strong day, and then if, if the running Running game works well with David uh, Devin Singletary. They will do that deep shot to John Brown like they have done for most of the season. So do I believe the Bills win this game? I can definitely see it. At this point, the Houston Texans are favored at three and a half ah, or three points. For, uh, excuse me, but I mean, I really don't know if I will take that bet. I think I will bet with the Buffalo Bills, not because I'm Bills Mafia in the house. It's because I really want to have an open evaluation on this team. The only thing I can say is that Houston has been here before. Buffalo really has not with Josh Allen and this young squad. So maybe experience will be the dagger. But even if uh, Houston wins, we could see it being a one or two point contest. That way the spread isn't covered as well. But I do like the chances for the Buffalo Bills to win this game. Sorry, Texans fans. I mean, I could definitely be wrong. I mean, Deshaun Watson, he could come out to play and be lights out in the process. But like I said, I haven't been encouraged over the last few weeks in his level of play, and it is quite concerning to me to say the least. So moving right along to the next contest on Wild Card Weekend, the second game on Saturday, the Tennessee Titans taking travel to the New England Patriots. If we had upset written all over it, this is the game. Somehow the New England Patriots still favored by four and a half points. I really don't see it. I mean, yes, the Miami Dolphins, they were an underdog massive by I believe it was 16 points last week. Yes, should the Patriots be favored at home? Absolutely. This is Ryan Tannehill. He has seen these Patriots before. He knows this team. He knows this club. He knows Bill Belichick. But I really believe that this Tennessee Titans team 
is very strong, and their game plan needs to be kill the clock, run the ball. This is the greatest inadequacy on this New England Patriots defense is their run defense. Have they shorn it up over the second half of the season? Yes, they have. They are very much different than what they were to begin the season. However, when it comes to Derrick Henry, I don't believe that they will be able to have an answer defensively to stop them. Ryan Tannehill will have to play mistake-free football. Corey Davis will be your difference maker along with Jonu Smith. These two guys need to come to play in this contest. If Corey Davis really wants to put a stamp on his career, this is the, one of the games to do it. He has been a supremely disappointing prospect ever since he was drafted by the Titans. He needs to come to play because we all know that A.J. Brown will be locked in on Stephon Gilmore, but maybe even in that regard, they will watch the tape of what Devontae Parker was able to do, and maybe they'll still force the ball that way. For the New England Patriots, I mean, they will be able to move the ball through the air because Adoree Jackson is not looking like he's going to play in this game as well. He's still nursing that injury. So I really have grave concern for this Titans secondary. Tom Brady has been here many times. He knows what to do. They're going to have a game plan ready and they're going to execute it to perfection. So, or they might execute it to perfection. I can't necessarily say that as 100% definite. But I do believe they will try to run the ball. They will have very uh, a very difficult time running the ball as they have for majority of the season. James White will be a huge contributor or should be in this game. I don't know why Bill Belichick has gone away from him. Perhaps he wants to have the sleight of hand and he will go back to White in the playoffs as he was such a big player last season in this offense. But do I believe four and a half will be covered at this point? I will say no. It's still early in the week. We still have a lot to uh, to dive into. Um, but I do believe that the Titans can upset the New England Patriots in this game in Foxborough if they stay true to their foundation of running the football, controlling the clock, using play action pass to their favor. I really like it a lot. So moving on to Sunday, we have the first game on the board on Sunday, the Minnesota Vikings and the New Orleans Saints. This contest, man, I am so torn between this uh, these two teams. The New Orleans Saints are coming in right now favored at minus eight. Uh, playing at home. Here's the thing. I have been preaching the Minnesota Vikings for majority of the season. I have been a supporter of Kirk Cousins for majority of this season. Only when the coaching staff realizes what they need to do and how they need to call the games. Kirk Cousins still, though, I mean, the mantra is still there. Is he clutch? No. Has he proven to be clutch this season in a much improved offense? No. That is the answer. I mean, this defense of the Vikings is very stout. They're very strong. But now you're going up against a New Orleans Saints club who is a dynamite team. They play unbelievable defense. Now they have Janorius Jenkins on the club. Unbelievable to line up with uh, Marshawn Lattimore. This, this secondary is going to be playing lights out. This defense plays lights out. And then you add to it Drew Brees, and now they're warming up Alvin Kamara as he found the end zone twice again last week 
for this week 17 and he will be again a featured piece for this offense it just it's happening at the right time for new orleans it's unfortunate that they have to play, but I almost think this actually is a benefit for the New Orleans Saints. They actually want to keep playing. The way that they have been producing, they want to stay on the field. They want to stay loose. They didn't want that week off. I think this will actually be the greatest benefiter to the New Orleans Saints, and I really have a difficult time believing that the Minnesota Vikings are going to walk in to New Orleans and steal this contest. Will eight points be covered? I really question it because Dalvin Cook is going to be back. He is the game changer for this offense. They will establish the run. They will set up the play action pass as well. That is their game plan, almost like the Tennessee Titans. Uh, So I really, really wonder. The defense is just going to have to play lights out for Minnesota if they stand any chance. Turnovers will be massive as well in this contest. So at this point, I really want to say the New Orleans Saints are going to win this game. I I pick them to go to the Super Bowl. Uh, basically at the start of the season uh, from the NFC. I really want to stick with it. I mean, it's going to be a lot of competition with San Francisco as well uh, uh, to get to the Super Bowl, but I really, really, truly believe in this New Orleans Saints club. I believe destiny is on their side. Drew Brees, at his age, he's not going to get too many more chances to hoist that Lombardi trophy, so this will be a monster monster game will i be surprised if minnesota pulls the upset i will say yes um i'm just that confident in what new orleans is able to do i think minnesota is a very good team um but we need to see it from Kirk cousins he needs to step up to the plate and realize what he needs to do to win these types of contests do i believe he has it in him I really don't know. I need to see it to believe it at this point because, like we said, every every checkbox we're answering for his ability in clutch situations has been no. So I really want to see it, but it's going to be a fantastic game. I cannot wait for it. Going to be one of the best ones on the weekend, that's for sure. The last game on the board on Sunday is the Seattle Seahawks now traveling to Philadelphia to face the injury-riddled Eagles. I mean, what is this Eagles team going to put on the field come the wild card weekend? Yes, Seattle has lost Chris Carson and Rashad Penny. What are they going to do at running back? Obviously, in that first half, you could see it was weighing on this offense against the 49ers I'm speaking of. They could not run the ball. They could not gain traction. And this is how this offense needs to be. However, in that second half, I did see a lot of progression from Pete Carroll, a lot of uh, transition and change-up within their play calling, within how they were attacking the 49ers. They found holes in that San Francisco defense, and they will have to do that again in in Philadelphia against this Eagles team. Philadelphia is definitely beatable. I mean, let's not kid ourselves. They are not a sound football team. They have depleted a depleted roster with all the injuries that they have endured. I mean, uh, Miles Sanders is going to be a question mark to play in this game with that ankle injury that he sustained against the Giants. They're saying it's not a high ankle sprain, that he should be good to go. I mean, do I think he'll be on the field? I do believe he will be. Will he be as effective because he is that, that shifty runner? I doubt it. I really believe Boston Scott will be the guy along with Jordan Howard in this game. 
Um, but as for the receiving threat, what can you say really about what the Eagles have? It, it appears that Zach Ertz will not play. That's another massive blow. They lost another offensive lineman, I believe, is uh, Brooks. He, he's gone for the season as well. So Carson Wentz is going to be standing on his head trying to make plays against this this decent Seattle defense. I mean, that is the one thing that the, the Eagles have in their favor is that this, this Seattle defense is beatable. Uh, they are definitely not the upper echelons, one of the upper, upper echelons defenses in the league uh, by any stretch of the imagination. But Russell Wilson is your guy. He is the key again. He knows that the playoffs will be riding on his shoulders and he can elevate like no other. He is beyond elite talent and clutch ability when we see what he can do on this field when he needs to carry this team. So, when I when I look at this game, do I believe that the Eagles have a chance to win? I really want to say no. I mean, the, the Hawks are favored by two points, but the, the front seven of this Eagles team is going to be the difference in this game. If they can literally force pressure on Russell Wilson to not be able to throw the ball where he wants it, that will be the difference in this game. Russell Wilson will have to find his receivers. He will have to run the ball himself to generate those plays. Um, But I do believe the Eagles front seven with Fletcher Cox and company, they will be able to rush the passer um, and, and do it very well. The the Eagles secondary is extremely beatable as well. We've seen it many times on many occasions this season. And Russell Wilson with DK Metcalf and Tyler Lockett should be able to feast uh, on this on this secondary more than once. So I mean, at this point, I really want to side with the Seattle Seahawks with the slight chance that the Eagles can just find some magic and muster enough. I just think the uh, they snuck into the postseason. They are they are not a sound football team. With with, like I said, all the injuries they have, and Seattle deserves to be here. So uh, it's unfortunate Seattle has to play on the road to open up the postseason, but I mean, at this point, I think this may be also good for them as well to keep feeding off of that anger of what had happened against the 49ers. So, I mean, that's your Week 17 recap with all the contests that happened. That is the games that are coming up for the postseason. Wild card weekend starting on Saturday, finishing on Sunday. Can we get any more excited about what's happening? The road to the Super Bowl is on its way. We are a mere, what, five, six weeks away from the Super Bowl. This is going to be a blast this is why we watch all these games i am excited i am enthralled as i am bills mafia i will be cheering my heart out i hope everybody had a wonderful merry christmas spent time with the family hope you enjoyed your time let me be the first to wish you a happy new year and a prosperous 2020 we will be here throughout the playoffs we will be covering all these teams come the off season so do not go away adf underground is here to stay there is no off season get that right so on that note thanks for tuning in we truly appreciate you you can find me on twitter at chris underscore adf1 you can find the show on twitter at adf underground the show is available on itunes spotify iHeartRadio, Podbean, and wherever you get your shows so on that note like again we truly appreciate you happy new year and until next week stay humble stay peaceful and take care of each other i'm out